0: And one day my grandmother came to me and she said, if you're going to bring this instrument home every day and practice, this is where you will practice. And she showed me the bathroom. Why? Because I was disturbing everybody
1: else in the house.
2: (laughs) I'm Steven Tyler, and this is No Indie. Each week on the show, I share a conversation with one of the good people doing their best right here in Indianapolis. This is episode number one, and today's guest is Betty Perry, the founder and director emeritus of the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra. I am releasing this interview in two parts. The conclusion to our conversation is episode two and is available right now in your podcast feed. One last thing before we get to Betty. As you listen today, tweet a photo of what you are doing while you listen. In the tweet, mention at No Indie Show with the hashtag DoingMyBest. I will pick my favorite tweet, and the winner gets a forthcoming No Indie t-shirt. Thank you for listening. Here is part one of my conversation with Betty Perry. I want to start with your story, but before I do... Can we just talk a little bit about what the MYO or the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra is for anyone that's hearing this for the first time and doesn't know?
0: Okay. The Metropolitan Youth Orchestra is um, a youth and family development program. Uh, We have an emphasis on education. Uh, We have a 100% high school graduation rate going Hmm. to post-secondary opportunities Uh, We also are partnered with organizations that help meet the needs of these families, such as providing food for them uh, before rehearsals. Um, We also have uh, worked with another organization dealing with uh, uh, domestic violence. Mm. And also we've uh, collaborated with another organization dealing with uh, mental health issues. Okay. Right. So we're trying to... Treat the families in a holistic way by doing these collaborative um, uh, partnerships so that we can ensure that the children can start with us, mm-hmm. open up all the doors, provide whatever they need to, uh, to help their spirits to mm-hmm. continue until they're ready to go and leave us at, at the end of their high school year.
2: I think it's fascinating you didn't say anything about music.
0: That's not a, believe it or not. Yes. That's our focus is on these other things. We just happen to use music as a vehicle to get it done.
2: That's awesome. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Well, I want to dive into the music a little bit. Okay. Your life, as I've researched, seems to be a testament to the power of music. Yes. Um, What about music do you think changes people?
0: Music energizes people but it also is like this spiritual thing that takes place. It's hard to explain. You can look in a, per- you can almost see the soul of that person and you can make music with that individual. It's an emotional bond. Hmm. And um, and that was something that happened to me when I was a little girl. Hmm. It was amazing. I mean, I grew up um, in the Bronx in New York City and I had no, in- I knew what a violin was, mm-hmm. okay, but that was probably about it. And uh, and so I went to be a Motown singer. And I was a little kid on the street with other little kids. We would stand under the street light, And we would sing Motown music. And we would take the record player out and we would dance. And then when I was 12 years old, I... Became a part of a music program at public school. And um, I had no intentions of playing an instrument. But competition sometimes makes you change your mind. <laughs> so there was this girl, my classmate, we were in steep competition. And she decided she was going to join the orchestra. And the teacher said to me, Miss Montgomery, as my maiden name. Uh, do you want to do band? Do you want to do strings? And I said, I want to do strings. and But I didn't tell him the reason why. Mm-hmm. And so this girl chose this instrument called a viola. I had no idea what that was. But mm-hmm. because she chose it, I chose it. <laughs> and I would take that instrument home every day and just practice my heart out. And one day my grandmother came to me and she said, if you're going to bring this instrument home every day and practice. This is where you will practice. And she showed me the bathroom. Why? Because I was disturbing everybody else Uh. in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after a few months, my music teacher came to me and he said to me, um, there's a youth orchestra. I want you to go here. And, and he was telling me to get up on a Saturday morning at seven o'clock to be ready at seven o'clock mm. so that this other girl could take me to the rehearsal. And because he was a man and we didn't have men in my family, I had no frame of mm. reference how mm. to deal with that. And I so I looked at him, and in my little 12-year-old way, I told him I wasn't getting up to go anywhere on Saturday. <laughs> And he put his finger on my face (laughs) and he said to me, you're going to get up and be ready on Saturday. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, he's a really strong person. I'll do it. But it wasn't because I wanted to do it, but because it was like that finger said something to me. Mm -hmm. So I was ready. It took us about an hour and a half to get to this place. Mm -hmm. And... um, So my girlfriend, not my girlfriend, but my classmate, she was a ninth grader. She goes up on the stage, and I sit in the auditorium. The oldest kid in this orchestra, they were between uh, the seventh and ninth grade. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at maybe 14, possibly. Okay. And this short woman gets up on the podium, and she gives a downbeat. And the most beautiful music I ever heard in my life came out of those young people. Mm. And I remember started, I started crying hmm. because it hit me on, a, on an emotional level that I was not expecting. And um, so I knew at that point music was always going to be in my life. But what it did was it took me out of my neighborhood, which mm-hmm. most of the kids in my neighborhood didn't survive. Mm. You know, because I, I grew up in an area called Fort Apache, the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Very rough very drug-driven, very gang-driven. And so, like I say, most of the kids didn't survive, but I did because I didn't stay in the community. Mm. I was out rehearsing all the time. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I also played all the major halls, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, Town Center, every all of those halls. Um, and so that, that was the thing that was d- driven for me. But the bad thing that came out of that was that it took me away from my family because hmm. I had no way of talking with them anymore. I was a different person. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? My world now was different and I spoke the language of the, the new people that I was in uh, contact with. So that's why with the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, the emphasis is on youth and family hmm. because I didn't want what happened to me to happen to any of my kids. And my program. So if you, if one child joins, we're asking all the siblings to come. If all the siblings come, we're asking the parents to learn, to play the instruments with them. So that as a family, as a unit, they have something bigger to communicate with. Because if we look at our society now, most kids are to themselves. Kids over here, they're doing whatever that thing is with the phone. Yeah. You know, or they're doing whatever it is with social media. And the parents are over here and there's no communication and there's a separation. So um, the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, it's been in existence now 21 years. Mm. But prior to that, I started doing this programming in daycare centers. Mm. So about 20 years before I actually founded the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, I was already doing programming throughout the city and making parents come and learn with their children, making them actually conduct the lessons. I would conduct one lesson during the week, mm. but on the weekend I would I tell give an assignment to each parent. This is the lesson that you're going to go home and create a lesson plan. This is what I want our kids to be able to learn. But I'm not going to tell you how to do it.
1: Hmm.
0: You're going to have to go and now start to take more ownership and directing your children and educating your children and stop abdicating that responsibility to the school system because the school system doesn't know. They don't know your children. And by abdicating your responsibility, you don't know your children.
2: So you used the practice of music as practice for the parents. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. Where did that idea come from?
0: Um, I think it originated um, coming from a broken home myself. I was very, very fortunate uh, to have my grandmother uh, become my primary care um, custodial parent Mm. because prior to that, I, I was homeless. Um, I was in and out of foster care and out of, and, you know, in an orphanage couple of times at
2: 10, and 10 or 12 years old or younger, or?
0: younger. My grandmother oh, wow. became my primary care, uh, person when I was nine. So prior to that, I was, you know, in and out of a lot of, a lot of those, um, uh, t- dark days, let's call them dark days. Yeah. Okay? But even though they were dark days, they were, that knowledge allowed me to develop a wisdom that I have now. Yeah. And that, um, when I'm dealing with children and families, I always have to stop and think, what are they going through?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I don't take anything for granted. You know, you look at people and you think they're okay. And then you realize that their the wife is being beaten up at home, mm. you know, different things like that. And, um, so anyway, the other part of it was that when my music teacher sent me to that rehearsal, he understood my spirit and mm. he knew he could only push me but so far because he was a man. So by sending me to that rehearsal, he was putting me in touch with a woman, a, a female music teacher, a mm. friend of his. And she became my mentor from the time I was twelve years old, old, and up until she died not too long ago. But she also introduced me to two other females, hmm. and and I love them. I I you know because they saved my life. They they guided me. Uh, and they t- what they taught me was, as I try to teach my kids you have the ability to do a lot of things on your own if you just believe that you can do it. It's called the power of music. That's the empowerment of music. Mm. And when all my friends were going to specialized high schools for music, this one teacher says to me, don't go to those schools.
2: Mm. Why not?
0: Uh, She said, if you go to those specialized schools, you'll be a little fish in a big pond. Uh. But if you come to my school, you'll be a big fish in a little pond. This woman was asking me to come to an all-girls school with 3,000 girls. And and I looked at her, and something told me to trust her. And Mm. so I went to her school. The first day I go to orchestra, she then tells me, you're never going to play your instrument here. And i that's when I almost wanted to jump up and down. And so it's like, first you say, don't go to the schools that would train me to be a professional musician. Now you're going to tell me I can't play my instrument. She says, no. And she gave me a violin, and she said, these are the strings. The names of the strings? And she gave me a book, and she showed me the clap, and she said, this is where the open A is located. Go sit in that section and learn how to play it. And she did that for cello and for bass, for bassoon, for oboe, for all the percussion instruments, and French horn. She allowed me to see what I was capable of doing. She never said you couldn't do it. You know, she would say, this is the clef, this is where the A is, go sit in that section and learn how to play it. So by the time I was 15, I was teaching at the elementary school next door to us. I was teaching orchestra to little kids. What I didn't know, which I found out in 2013, is that I was part of a special program that identified gifted young teachers. Huh. Right. So, so that's, that's also the, what I do for my children. Don't say you can't do it. I'll help show you how. But you have to get over there and do it yourself.
2: What? What? How did you approach, how many instruments have you taught yourself?
0: Um, I couldn't, I could never master flute. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate the piano, so. Okay. But I play, um, I taught myself how to play French horn, trumpet, and, um, trombone. Uh, then there was bassoon and oboe. And like I said, I could never master the flute. And then there was cello, um, Upright bass and violin, plus my own principal instrument, viola.
2: So nine instruments I counted there. Yeah. And guitar. Ten. Call okay. it ten. And I bet you, I play guitar too, but I bet you do it better than I do. Oh, I probably don't. Uh, I'm be surprised. <laughs> um, how do you approach teaching yourself a new instrument? I mean, I, you got some pretty loose direction and then you went over and you went and figured it out. You have natural talent, obviously, in music. Um, but is there a standard approach you took to learning a new instrument?
0: Uh, the approach basically for me was, um, I know I can do this. Mm. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take me to learn how to do it. But I never had a feeling that I couldn't do it. I mean, I recognized my limits on piano. I recognized my limits with the flute. I just didn't have the embouchure for that for Mm. some, for some strange reason. But it also, for me, was the idea of just being able to accomplish it. You know, especially for a kid coming from the neighborhood where I came from and everybody thinking uh, that you just don't have that ability. Mm -hmm. And and what I've learned through that is that every kid has a genius. Hmm. Every kid has a specific gift. It's our responsibility to help him to identify what it is. And to help him learn how to use it. Mm. Um, And I give you a case in point. I once gave um, um, a presentation uh, for an organization. I forget what it it was. But there were several engineers there. And I asked them, how long does it take to uh, develop an anti-car theft device And from conception to the actual completion of it, they said between three and five years. Mm. And so I said to them, how is it a kid in the hood can dismantle it in two minutes? (laughs) Fair question. Yes. And the thing is they have natural, they have natural gifts, but we don't take time to go into the community to help them develop them. Uh, The school system doesn't have time to do that. They're too busy cutting money and cutting programs and, Mm-hmm. you know different things like that but the metropolitan youth orchestra we help and try to fill in those gaps and that's why the emphasis is not so much on the music the music creates the discipline mm. you have to I'm not that we're saying to these kids we just want you to be mediocre mm-hmm. that's not who we are
1: mm-hmm.
0: here you have this instrument this is what is uh this is what is required of you Don't come in here unpracticed, you see, because if they, if we allow them to do that, when they leave us, they won't have the discipline to negotiate higher education. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Right.
2: What, um, how do you teach the discipline?
0: It's just the way. Okay, the way I do it and the way we're training our teachers to do it is one, we have to model what family looks like for our kids.
2: Mm, tell me what that means.
0: So, for instance, our teachers, we have become a family. And, MYO, if you come and you can ask the Kims this. Yeah. What's one of the first things you, Betty Perry will do?
2: Give you a hug.
0: Yes. Did they tell you that? Uh, everybody says that about okay. Betty Perry. <laughs> <laughs> So you're modeling this relationship of what is natural for children. Children are naturally encoded to want to love other adults other than their parents. Mm. And if they latch on to that adult, you can ask that kid to do anything for you, and Mm. they will do it for you. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But you have to develop that bond with them where they want to— they want to please you they want um to see you smile mm-hmm. you know when you when you when you path, cross their paths mm-hmm. and they want to be able to tell you things that maybe they yeah they won't be able to have that dialogue with their parents and I'm not talking about intimate things because some of that stuff we have to stop
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but just as a friend, you know as an adult friend and um and so it's through. Providing that type of environment, really strategically providing it, not just the one-on-one, mm-hmm. but in the the group environment. That's that invitational thing. That's why when we eat, when our kids eat before rehearsal, mm-hmm. they're bonding mm-hmm. as family. They can talk about pretty much anything, you know, with mm-hmm. each other. But you have to have the right environment to allow that, to allow that to happen.
2: Um, If someone was wanting to be more effective for the young people in their lives, what would be the two or three things you would tell them to do if they want to try to connect with that person to build that trust?
0: First of all, comments must always be positive, even if you're, it's going to, you have to phrase it in a way that's not going to break the spirit of the kid. Mm -hmm. We never want to do that and we give training to our teachers, hmm. so that shouldn't happen. Uh, two, be a good listener. Be very, very observant. Know your student. Know if the, know if the student comes in, you can read the body language. Is this kid okay?
1: Hmm.
0: Okay? Uh, the other thing I would say, number three, is don't be afraid to make mistakes <laughs> yourself. Let your kids see that you're human. Mm. And then both of you can sit and laugh about it, mm. you know. So that relaxes the student. It makes the student want, um, you know, really want to get a, get close to you. Don't be afraid. Like when I do orchestra, I'm the first one to act like a buffoon. Mm. We tell jokes all the time. Um, can I be very serious with them? Do they know when I'm serious? Yes, because they can read my body. Mm. You know, so if I pull back from the podium and I look at you like this, you should hear it. All of this going around, Mm -hmm. around the room. I don't have to raise my voice. It's not necessary. I never even did that with my own kids. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like for their mommy to yell at them because it's not necessary.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned the one through nine years of your life Mm -hmm. that were you called the dark time. Yes. It sounds like you experienced one of the hardest things you could experience in life by the age of 9 and I'm just guessing that bent you in a way, in a positive way that made you a different person for the rest of your life.
0: Well, I had to be. I mean, I had to um I had to take care of my brothers. Mm. I'm the oldest of nine children. Oh my. And um The oldest boy who's two years younger than me, he and I went through those dark days together and Mm. I had to protect him. Mm. And um, I had to grow up real fast. I had to learn how to think on my feet. Um, I remember I must have been about four or five years old when I was in the orphanage and I would have to go upstairs and make his bed, get him dressed and ready for breakfast. And then... Um, We we separated, I forget where he went, and I had to go to like this uh, preschool place. I I don't regret any of that because it it tells me about the adult that I am by examining the little person I used to be. Mm. So I don't feel sorry. Sometimes I do cry for her, I do, Mm -hmm. even now, okay? But at the same time, I would not give up those days for anything. Because it has made me the person that I am that can have empathy, that is thoughtful and considerate of other individuals when I'm speaking to them. So if I'm speaking to them, I'm speaking to them from my heart.
2: Oh, this is deep. Oh. In in all the good ways. In all the good (laughs) ways. Um, Where do I want to go now? You've taken me on like a ride already. Was that time that you heard the orchestra perform at the direction of your teacher. Was it the first time you had seen an orchestra perform live like that?
0: Yes. Really?
2: Yes. So were you learning the instrument kind of independent of a large orchestra setting?
0: I was learning it in the public school in the smaller orchestra. Okay. But this particular orchestra it's called the, um, uh, the Bronx borough orchestra was made up of the best students. Mm. in the city, in the borough of the Bronx. Okay. And so I had to audition for it, but by the time the second semester came of my first year, I got into that orchestra. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was just the beginning of a whole new life for me.
2: And were you going home back to your grandmother's at night and then in the morning getting up and leaving the neighborhood and going to pursue this music? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Wow. I'd
0: get up. As a matter of fact, when... My grandmother is so funny Uh, when people talk about moving on up, you know, to the east side, that kind of stuff. Well, my grandmother called herself moving us into a better neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What'd you call your
2: grandmother? Hmm? What'd you call your grandmother? Uh, Graham. Graham, okay.
0: Right, Graham. Her name, everybody else called her Miss Toby. She had these incredible... Uh, green eyes that people found it hard to look at her. Oh. Yes. Uh But, um, so anyway, so my seventh grade year, I'm still in the quote unquote hood, Mm. but in an orchestra program. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: My eighth grade, I was excited because I got to go to this new school and I just had music all on my mind and this school didn't have instrumental music. Oh. And, um, So I go to the general music class and with five minutes, these kids had this woman crying. I was like, really? (laughs) So I went to my grandmother and I said, I don't care what you have to do, but you need to get me out of the school and send me back to my other school. Mm. And she, with my music teacher from the other school, went to uh, City Hall Mm -hmm. and got special permission for me to travel. Wow. And I do that every single day. And I would do that. With my viola, and I would do it. Also, I, my teacher would let me bring out other instruments, and I would do it with the bass. And I would travel back and forth with my little junior high school self. And
2: uh, a bass is a large instrument.
0: Huge. I and know.
2: You're not a person of huge stature to begin with.
0: It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was taking that bass home. Wow. So I, you know, I really enjoyed it. And then uh, in the eighth grade, I also auditioned for. Um, the All City, uh, the All City uh, String Orchestra, which was for junior high school kids also. But that that particular group was made up of the best kids in all boroughs. Mm. And so <clears throat> basically I was not not at home a lot. Mm. I would go to one rehearsal, get on the train, and my friends and I would play on the train, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. And then we go to the next rehearsal. And then, excuse me, if there was a community orchestra like at the settlement houses, I would go there. So I was not in my neighborhood, hardly uh-huh. ever. I was always gone.
2: Huh. Were you busking on the train when you played on the train? Say again? Did you busk on the train with your, with a hat out or the instrument case open? No, we didn't do
0: that. We no? just were rehearsing for the next, for the next rehearsal and we just had lots of fun.
2: Was it well received by oh, you? Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first big concert that you performed in? Like you, when that one happened, you felt like it something new had happened for your career.
0: The first one was when I was in the seventh grade at Carnegie Hall.
2: Oh, wow. What, what did that feel like? What was the room like?
0: Um, first of all, I was very happy for my grandmother. Yeah. Who had sacrificed her life, her career for us. And, um, And she could see that, with me, the sacrifice was worth it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And um, she could tell her neighbors that she was going to Carnegie Hall because her Mm -hmm. granddaughter was performing. So, yes, I was blown away by this big place and being downtown, a place that I never would have gone to if it was not for this instrument. Yeah. And to be able to take my grandmother there so she could see that that little girl that she gave up her life for, her career for, was I I get really emotional about this. Excuse me. It was worth it.
2: What did she say to you afterward?
0: She hugged me. And she got to go to Carnegie Hall a lot, and she got to go to Lincoln Center a lot. She got to hear me play with big time singers. And Ugh. anyway.
2: Thanks for sharing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> mm. Let's change pace. Okay. We are going to pause the conversation right there. The conclusion to my interview with Betty is available as episode number two right now in your feed. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tweet a photo of what you were doing as you listened to the show. Be sure to mention at No Indie Show with a hashtag doing my best. My favorite tweet will win a forthcoming No Indie t-shirt. Lastly, if you would like to support the show, please leave a rating and review in apple podcast it will help others find the show and i will read everything you write find me on the socials at no show and learn more at noindy.com thank you for listening